Welcome to the Landmark Podcast. I'm Jason Calhoun, pastor of Landmark Pentecostal Church in Texarkana, Texas. We encourage you to visit us on the web at landmarkupc.net for a schedule of services and upcoming events. We pray that you are blessed by the message today. Thank you again for listening. For we walk in the flesh, so for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God. And bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. And having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Now I know that might seem at first glance an unusual Verse, verse 6, the last verse that I read, and having in a readiness to revenge. And that's what I really want to focus on, a readiness to revenge. Let's pray together that the Lord would bless his word to our hearts today. Lord Jesus, we're so thankful for the privilege of working for you. Thankful for your word today. I pray, God, that you would help it to be applied to each one of our hearts as we're hungry to receive direction from you and guidance from you today. We thank you for it in Jesus' name, a readiness to revenge. I don't want to burst anyone's bubble this morning, but every true believer has battles. Christians live in an arena of conflict, struggle, and confrontation. The faithful have to fight, and often. No one could possibly really, if you're a serious Bible reader at all, would ever miss that. Even at a superficial perusing of God's Word, you can see this is, this is spoken about. It's talked about. It's referred to many times. We fight external forces that oppose truth, and we fight internal forces that oppose the lordship of Jesus Christ in our lives. We are energetically reminded by the Apostle Paul on numerous occasions, but let me just outline a few of them. Romans 13 and 12, he tells us to put on the armor of light. And then we all know about the Christian armor that is referred to in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 11, to put on the full armor of God, he said. In other words, he's very specific there. He says, put on the full armor of God. Make sure that you're entirely suited when you go out to battle. And then on two occasions, speaking to Timothy, the young preacher, he writes that we are to fight the good fight. Of faith. So we understand that the Christian life is warfare. And we also need to understand where we fight, how we fight, 
and the enormous potential that we have for victory. Because we're not fighting alone. We're not engaged in this battle by ourselves. We're not facing what we face as just an individual with no source of strength outside of ourselves. I think it's important that we know, first of all, where we fight. The theater, if you want to say it that way, the Christian battle is the world. You know, we study history and theaters of battles and wars are fought in specific places. Sometimes it's in a jungle, sometimes it's in a desert. And that matters a lot to how you prepare for the battle. The Christian battle is fought in the theater of this world. Verse 3 says in our text, For we walk in the flesh. We live in this world. And we must never forget the arena in which we battle in. We still have flesh to contend with, according to this text. We have infirmities. We have weaknesses. We have exposures to temptations. We have human limitations. And when Paul described the Holy Ghost, he called it a treasure in earthen vessels. We have a powerful, powerful, unperishing, undiminishing treasure called the Holy Ghost. But ironically, it is placed in an earthen vessel. And if you study that out, it is talking about a clay jar. So it is vulnerable. We live in a world that is exceedingly hostile towards you and I, towards the experience that we have, and it seems like it's increasing in its hostility. Jesus prayed this way in the Gospel of John, chapter 17 and verse 15. He said, I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but thou shouldest keep them from the evil. And one rendition of that says, keep them from the evil doer. And so it's important that we have the protection of God. It's important that we understand our vulnerability and that we have a source of strength. And we live and we breathe in the battlefield of this world and there is a lot of spiritual activity and hostility that is out there in this world. And I think that over the last several months, maybe over the last year, we have seen that hostility, those intense spiritual activities come to the surface. Yet though we live in this world, we do not battle, the scripture says, like this world. We do not wage war like the world does. The Apostle Paul says we do not war after the flesh. We walk in the flesh, but we do not war after the flesh. The church, and even more personally, the Christian, does not conquer on the basis of any kind of human strength. We do not conquer on the basis of intellectual prowess. We do not conquer on the basis of physical ability or do we uh, 
make it because of our own might or because of our own strength. We do not win because we're simply sharp thinkers or strong fighters or rich spenders or trained warriors. No, that's not the reason why we conquer. That's not the reason why we can have victory. We, did, we wouldn't make a dent in the darkness in this world without the source of His supernatural power and His supernatural strength. In fact, winning has little to do with us and everything to do with Him. Everything to do with Him. We win because we have superior weapons, the Apostle Paul said in this text. This text calls these weapons mighty. It refers to them as being powerful. It alludes to uh, the strength that they have. And it also makes this assumption that we have to deny the weapons of the world to be able to use them. Verse 4 says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. We are only as powerful as God's enablement in our lives. We're only as strong as the Spirit makes us. As long as we attempt to win the world with the world's weapons, we'll always fall short. We'll always come up empty. We'll always fail. The world uses hate and depends upon its hate to try to get its point across. But God's people uses love. And the Bible says perfect love casteth out. All fear. The world uses deception. The devil, the enemy uses deception to get into the minds and the hearts of people. But God's people embrace truth. And the Bible says once truth is known, it makes us free. The world uses filth and corruption. But God's people concentrate on purity. And purity produces power and anointing and God's blessing and favor in our lives. The world simply uses human knowledge, uses what is called humanism to try to get the job done. But God's people implement faith, employ faith, are empowered by faith. And the Bible says nothing is impossible to them that believe. We, we use weapons that are effective. God's weapons can conquer the unconquerable. Paul said, mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Now you've got to understand uh, the, uh, the writer here, the Apostle Paul, that the times that he lived in was during the Roman Empire. And they were known for their bulwarks. They were known for their great fortresses. If you've ever been or seen pictures of Rome, you've, you've noticed the walls of the city. You've noticed the fortress-type uh, buildings that are built by the Roman Empire that housed uh, 
the different emperors and people that were in power in that day. And so you understand where he's coming from when he talks about strongholds. He maybe had a picture of this in his imagination, in his mind. He's talking about these castles and these fortresses and bulwarks, walled cities such as Rome and the places that they inhabited. What through worldly means is not able to be conquered. Us and ourselves and by our own strength are not able, not able to conquer certain things in our lives. We're unable through our own ability to overcome certain things. Maybe it seems just like a, a great fortress and a wall, an obstacle that keeps us from breaking through to victory that we desire. But nevertheless, Paul said, when we use the weapons that the Lord gives us, when we use faith, when we use the Word of God, when we use worship, when we use the weapon of prayer, we are able to pull down these strongholds that the enemy has endeavored to build up in our lives. God's weapons can explain the unexplainable. With His weapons, we can demolish false arguments, falsehoods. You know, uh, there's been a lot said about fake news. But you know, the devil's been into fake news for a long time. The devil's tried to sell his falsehoods for a long time. And the Scripture tells us that he is able to demolish every high thing that exalteth itself Against the knowledge of God. The knowledge of God trumps the knowledge of men. The knowledge of God is always above the knowledge of men. The knowledge of God is forever settled. The knowledge of God is the truth that makes free. The knowledge of God will never pass away, the Bible says. And in Colossians 2... It talks about spoiling philosophies and vain deceits and traditions of men and rudiments of this world. But none of those things have a chance when we use the weapons that God has placed in our arsenal. God's weapons can explain the unexplainable. We don't have to be inferior when we're explaining to somebody the truth of God's word. We don't have to be intimidated by what we believe and what we've embraced. As the truth because it's based in the word of God. And so we can stand flat footed and proclaim that there is only one God. Because that's what the Bible says. We can stand flat footed and proclaim that there is only one way for a person to be born again. And that's through water and spirit. We must repent of our sins. Be baptized in Jesus name. And filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. And live a clean, separated life from the world. That's in God's Word. We don't have to apologize for that. But these weapons of our warfare explain the unexplainable. God's weapons can assail the unassailable. We can overcome. We can demolish every pretension 
that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. Obstacles, barriers that rise up in their human authority. They flex their muscles and try to make decrees and try to to come against the Word of God. But all of these things pale in comparison to the weapons that the Lord has given to you and I. Again, the weapon of faith, the Word of God, prayer, amen, fasting, dedicating ourselves to the Lord, consecrating. You take a person that is consecrated unto God, when they begin to pray, they can see walls come down. They can see opposition removed. They can overcome what seems to be insurmountable. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. The believer can fight within himself and within our culture to take captivity of all thoughts that are not of God. The Bible says the weapons that you and I have can capture that that seems to be unable to be controlled. In verse 5, it says we take captivity every thought to make it obedient to Christ. In other words, what you couldn't control, what you couldn't get a handle on in yourself and through your own ability, through therapy, through whatever other means that you've tried. When you come to God and are filled with the power of the Holy Ghost, you can take control over things that you didn't have control over. Every scheme, every design, every purpose can be brought under the control of Christ and subdued. And it has to surrender to Him. I'm so thankful that every thought can come in captivity to the things of the Spirit. That we can have control, that we can conquer, that we don't have to give in, that we don't have to succumb to We don't have to yield to the temptations that the devil tries to place in our minds. But we can bring them under captivity. That's a powerful thing because the enemy tries to bring us under captivity. He don't want you to know that you can bring the very things that he tries to assail you with. You can bring those things under captivity in your life. He doesn't want you to know that you can actually have control over him. And authority over him. And he can be displaced and removed and has to flee when you call on the name of the Lord Jesus. When you invoke the word of God. That's what Jesus did in the wilderness. He said it is written. It is written when the enemy come to tempt. When the enemy come assailing him. And you you got to bear in mind that he had been fasting for now 40 days. When the enemy came to him, he was in a weakened condition in the flesh. Some people feel like, well, I, I don't feel as strong as I'd like to feel. My, my mind seems weak and, and my ability to stand strong seems, I, I seem to be fledgling a little bit. What I want to tell you, when we're weak in the flesh, we can still be strong in the spirit. 
and he claimed, amen, and held on to the word of God and brought the word of God into that temptation. And before it was over with, he sent the devil packing through quoting the word of God. Bringing into the situation the word of God. I'm going to tell you when the enemy comes against you, you need to bring the word of God into the scenario. You need to speak and talk and know the word of God. I heard some man, uh, a man say recently, he said, you need to read the word of God until the word of God begins to read you. And I thought that was so fitting because the Word of God is alive. This is not some book of history. This is not, it has history in it. But it's not just some book that we refer to as a textbook. We don't just use it for debate and argument. But it feeds us every day that we read it. Every day that we take it off the shelf. And we read it in, in openness and meditation to understanding it fully. That feeds us. It feeds our spirit man. It gives strength to us. And though in the flesh we may feel weak, we can have faith that the spirit is going to give us the strength to overcome whatever it is that we face in life. But really what I wanted to focus on here is that last verse that I read, verse 6. And having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. What did he mean by that? Now you've got to understand the history and the testimony that the Apostle Paul had. He was the self-acclaimed chiefest of sinners. This man had passionately persecuted the church, wrecked havoc on the children of God up until his conversion on the road to Damascus. We understand that there was no one that was any more vehement against the believers of the early church than the Apostle Paul had stood by holding the coats of them as we heard so eloquently preached last week. Held the coats of them that stoned Stephen. He was a man that was doing his best to snuff out the fires of revival through the early pages of the book of Acts. This was a man that again opposed everything that was of God. Opposed the church and the progress of the church. Even to the point that when God showed mercy upon him and he was converted, that he said, I am the least of the brethren because of what I had done or have done to the churches and how I oppose the work of God in my past. I got a lot of making up to do is what he was saying. I have been in opposition to this for many years. And now since I've been converted I want to be just as vehement for God as I was against God. I want to be just as passionate for the things of God as I was when I opposed it and when I fought against it. And so, he said, how can I revenge my past? How can I overcome the things that I have done that are negative? How can I, I mean, when I look back at all 
the wrongs? How can I right them? How can I make amends for them? And I know that mercy is not given to us with the idea that we repay or God does not require of us any kind of repayment for His goodness and mercy in our lives. And I'm so thankful for that because most of us have such a debt when it comes to mercy that we would never be able to repay. We'd never be able to give back as much as He has given to us in His forgiveness and His mercy in our lives. However, I think all of us ought to live with the idea that I certainly don't want to give less to God than I gave to the world. I don't want to be less for the Lord than I was for the enemy. I don't want to be more passionate when I was out there in the world than I am while I'm in the church. If I used to go out on Friday and Saturday night and give my all in the clubs and the places of the world, to the amusements of the world. I ought to give my best when I come to the house of God. I ought not to withhold my worship. I ought to give my praise. I ought to passionately give thanks unto God. I ought to have a heart and a desire to worship the Lord. I ought to give to the kingdom of God with excellence everything that I have. That's what he's speaking of when he says a readiness to revenge. He said, you know how I am able to make up for all of my disobedience? is by being obedient to the Word of God. By living fully for the Lord. By giving myself completely to God. By being everything that I should be to the Lord. By not withholding anything but giving everything that I have unto Him and serving Him with all of my heart, my mind, my soul, my strength, giving it unto the Lord. That's what He said. And having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience. I mean, He's thinking about all the things in His stubborn, sinful, and passionate Opposition to the church. He's, he's recounting all of that in his mind as he's writing this. A readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. When you are obedient to God. When you give your life to serving the Lord. When you faithfully, faithfully give yourself to walking with God and living according to His Word. When you wake up every day and you pray and you endeavor to follow God and be led of His Spirit. When you're obedient to the Word of God and also follow sensitively the Spirit of God. What am I doing? I'm revenging. I'm revenging everything that I might have been out there. Everything that I might have done out there. My past is revenged by simply serving God and doing His will and being obedient to Him. That ought to put an inspiration within all of us. You know how to tear down and destroy the works of the enemy? You don't do it physically. You don't, you don't march on, on 
uh, a boulevard somewhere. You don't hold a picket sign. That, that's not how you revenge. That's not how you revenge. That's not how you righteously revenge your past. You don't stand out in front of an abortion clinic, and some may choose to do that, but I tell you the better way is for us to live obedient and according to God's Word. And I want to tell you more than just a one-day event. By every day living for God and crucifying this flesh and serving God and walking with God. Every morning we tell the devil, you're not going to influence me today, but I'm going to live for the Lord. I'm going to serve God with all of my heart. That is a readiness to revenge. Every time we come to the house of God and lift up our hands to the Lord, that is what the Apostle Paul is referring to. Every time that we come into this sanctuary, Amen. Good times, bad times, high times, low times, mountaintops and valleys low. But we come to the house of God with a desire to serve the Lord and give our best to Him every time. Amen. When sometimes there is financial pressure, but you still faithfully give your offering and pay your tithe unto the Lord. What are you doing? You're revenging the past. And you're saying, through righteousness, I'm going to live for God. I'm going to serve the Lord because he has been so good to me. I thank everybody under the sound of my voice, everybody that may watch this at a later time or hear this at a later time. You do understand what the Apostle Paul is referring to. You do fully comprehend that in your own life, God has been so incredibly merciful and kind. He's been faithful even when we've not been faithful. He's been good even when we've not been good. He's been merciful and forgiving. And I'm reminded of that scripture in the book of Romans. Chapter number 12 that said, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living, a living sacrifice. You know, we're living in a day when people talk about, well, I would die for the truth, or I would die for this cause, or I would die for that cause. The Lord doesn't expect us necessarily to die for it. He wants us to live for it every day, every day, every day. The consistency of living for God is the greatest victory that any one of us could ever achieve. The consistency of living for God. God bless you today. Thank you for your attention and hearing the word of the Lord.